This is the Emergency Medical Minute, sponsored by Mile High Ambulance. The Emergency Medical Minute is excited to announce that we are now offering AMA, PRA, Category 1 credits. This is accessible through our online course modules that can be accessed at www.emergencymedicalminute.org backslash CME-courses, or simply by clicking on the link in our show notes and creating an account. So, anyone know the term smiling death? You know, it's always a fun one, right? Okay, so smiling death is a pre-hospital phenomenon related to trauma, and it's usually a crush injury where people are pinned against something, the collapsed buildings are the most common kind of scenario where that happens, and they're crushed, and then finally get extricated, and of course they're smiling and happy because they're now rescued after however many hours they were pinned down. And then often very soon after, you know, within the half hour, we'll suddenly die. So has anyone heard of this phenomenon or know what's going on? So it's actually the second most common cause of death in trauma, like earthquakes, collapses, things like that. And it's, it's called crush syndrome. So we obviously know what a crush is and people kind of get pinned down and things like that. But it's something that's a, maybe a little under-recognized as far as the importance of it. And it often kind of will happen right up front after somebody's extricated, but it even can be hours later. And basically what happens is these crushed limbs or extremities or, or kind of wherever they're kind of crushed or pinned down, there's enough impeded blood flow that there's a lot of cell death that happens in those muscles and tissues that are there. And so then that can obviously, you know, we think of rhabdomyolysis and that's kind of, you know, the way to start thinking about that. There's a lot of cell death and there's a lot of release of myoglobin, but there's also other stuff that goes along with that. And one of those is potassium. And so there's this massive efflux of potassium and so these patients are kind of pinned, pinned, all these cells are dying in their legs, you know, say, you know, both legs are pinned down. And if it's a big crush, and if it's been for a while, then there is a massive release of potassium. And so it's actually a fairly well-described phenomenon that happens with a fairly regular occurrence where um, if you have enough of a crush, and especially the longer that it's kind of gone on, as soon as they're released, then this influx of potassium, going to cardiac dysrhythmia, usually some kind of V-fib arrest, and then we'll you know, die if they don't get proper resuscitation. So it is a really sad thing, and, and because there's a few sides to it, right? There's the EMS kind of scoop and go, let's get them out. This patient's been here for 24 hours. We finally got them released, let's go. Um, but it is actually one of those that if the situation and the safety allows on the pre-hospital side is to actually start their medical care before you release the uh, what's pinned them down. With FEMA stuff that I've done, we had to actually go do some exercises like this in these really austere environments, and it was super fun. Like crawling through these tunnels, it takes a half hour to like to get somebody, and then you're starting an IV like above your head and doing all these kind of you know weird things. But you basically you want to get to that point where you can establish IV access and start really aggressive hydrating before that. We love LR, you know, in the sepsis setting and the hospital setting. It's actually one of those like few things in this that's recognized to be harmful because of the potassium that's in there. So it's really normal saline, and usually you're starting it at like, at least like a liter per hour for those first few hours. Um, obviously, a little bit of adjustment if they're old or if they're young, you're going to do a little bit of uh, adjustments with that, but still more aggressive than you probably would hydration with these patients. There's other things that have been looked at, like giving bicarb up front or mannitol or other things to maybe try to precipitate or tr try to kind of stave it off. And there's mixed feelings about that as far as how effective that actually is. Believe it or not, there's also some thought, and it, I mean, truthfully works, it's just not good for the patient of just amputating them. If you have a high suspicion that they're going to run into them, amputate before you even release them or applying tourniquets or do anything to try to maybe delay or prevent that release in the first place. Um, but it's really just unfortunately not an ideal scenario, and there are plenty of salvageable cases where it's just not felt worthwhile for the patient's benefit, as you can imagine, to just prophylactically amputate somebody. So 
it is one of those things that we may see, like, you know, we're not going to on be on that pre-hospital side, but if somebody comes in and you kind of hear that mechanism um, is actually kind of really aggressively hydrating up front, just because the other scenario that you face, and a lot of literature kind of supports this, is the things that we expect for hyperkalemia maybe won't work as well. Everything we do is to shift potassium back inside of cells, but if there's so much released and then these cells are no longer available, you know, because of all the cell death that's happened in those extremities, then a lot of the standard techniques aren't going to be as effective. And we're, we're still going to treat them that way, but it's just not as much of a drop as we would hope to see. And then dialysis, you know, there's really kind of mixed data on when to start dialysis. But even if your rise of potassium, say you kind of start like low, like 2.9, and then you're up to like 4.5 within an hour, you know, there's some advocates that you start dialysis early. Um, just because they're, you know, labs, the creatinine, other kind of stuff that normal markers are going to be a little bit lagged. And it's also a different patient setting than somebody with chronic kidney disease. So um, it's an interesting phenomenon, something that is under recognized. But uh, for that pre-hospital setting, it's, believe it or not, like, we, you know, we would go through these exercises where you start, you know, get an IV established and get a leader in before you even have the rescue teams actually start to lift uh, off these patients. So um, just something to be aware of. Yes, question. Does that, does that work? So tourniquets, no. So, and sorry, I didn't really emphasize that very well. So there, there have been a lot of people who've tried the tourniquets and then release and then move in. It doesn't really make a difference is what it looks like. So the answer to a tourniquet question is the same application for a tourniquet. If there's life-threatening bleeding, we still use them. Any other questions? All right. Thanks, guys. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Health One Continental Division and Swedish Medical Center for their financial contributions to the EMM. Donations from them and listeners like you make it possible for us to fulfill our mission of producing and spreading free medical education to the masses. If you enjoy our show, please consider making a one-time or reoccurring donation to help cover our operational costs and keep the EMM awesome. Click on the link in our show notes to make a donation. Thank you for listening.